listening to Messy Jesus Business, a podcast about radical gospel living. I'm Sister Julia Walsh, a writer, spiritual director, and jail minister living in Chicago. Welcome to The Mess. listening to episode three of Messy Jesus Business. I've been blogging at MessyJesusBusiness.com since 2010. Messy Jesus Business, the blog and now the podcast, explores the mess of radical gospel living and how it brings disciples into a life of struggle as we advocate for social justice, live simply, serve others, practice contemplation, and live in community. Now, on to our guest. Our guest today is Jessica Mesman, a writer, editor, and speaker on religion and the arts. She is the author of four books of spiritual writing, including the award-winning memoir, Love and Salt. Jessica is a cradle Catholic who now worships in many different communities. I've been working with Jessica since I invited her to be my editor a few years ago, and she's grown to become one of my close friends. I think you'll agree that the conversation I had with Jessica was very rich. We discussed a lot of different topics, including the struggle of exploring questions, how art and literature feed Jessica's faith, how to read with openness, how writing can be a forum of discipleship and spiritual practice, and how complicated and messy it can be to remain in a relationship with the church. Enjoy! Hi! Welcome to Messy Jesus Business, Jess. Hello, Julia. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I, uh, um... I was thinking about it the other day, and I believe you've been in my life for like four years now, something like that. Yeah, I think so. Because I think I reached out to you, I don't know, maybe like at the fall of 2017 and said, hey, do you want to help me with my writing? (laughs) (laughs) Like the lady who had been doing my editing was deciding that she didn't want to be an editor anymore or something. And so I knew I needed to always work with somebody since I'm not totally trained and professional in this thing. I'm learning it as I go. And you've been super helpful to me in that. And, you, and you've studied it a ton. So um, have you, I was just wondering, like, is writing, some, being a writer, was that something when you were a kid you always thought you would do? Oh, yeah. I was always, uh, from a very early age, I wanted to be a journalist. So, you know, or maybe I thought I was going to be a detective. But they're kind of the same thing, or they were in my mind at the time. It was like Nancy Drew going around, but with a reporter's notebook. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Clues, and I I always loved detective fiction, and um yeah, so I, I always knew I wanted to be 
some kind of newspaper reporter or like a Lois Lane figure, you know, <laughs> and then and just a love of literature from a very early age. I was a reader, though nobody else in my family was. So I always kind of escaped into books and lived there. So I went on when I was in college, I majored in English literature. And then at the very last minute discovered essays and essayists like Joan Didion and decided that's what I wanted to do. And so I went and got my first job. I got, I took a free internship at a paper, a really tiny paper in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And one day the arts and entertainment editor just quit and they just gave me her job rather than run a search. So I had no experience. I was like right out of college and that was my first job. And I've been writing and publishing ever since. Oh, wow. Yeah. Huh. That's cool. So would you say, I mean, it kind of sounds like what got you into it was really seeking the truth. Is, would you say that's what it is? Yeah, I think so. I think I was always looking for answers, looking for the, the stories behind the stories people tell you, um, and what was really going on in the world. And I still love detective fiction for that reason, because you get neat answers at the end. <laughs> Not so much in theology or um, real life or literary fiction even, but I still, yeah. you know, especially when things get rough in life, I always turn to de detective fiction because it's very soothing to have something that works out neatly in the end, even if it's ugly. Hmm. Yeah. That's a bit surprising to me, honestly, because I think of you as a person who um, really enjoys mystery and and mm -hmm. nuance and uh, is very comfortable with with the gray and the messiness, the struggle. Like you embrace that that's part of the reality. Yeah, I wouldn't say that I'm comfortable. I'd say that I accept it. Mm -hmm. I'm sort of resigned to that <laughs> mystery. Um, and I do think that's where, it's where the excitement is, it's where the action is, it's where the interesting stuff is, but sometimes it's nice to have answers. Um, mm. I don't, I, but yeah, I haven't been satisfied by theological answers, you know, pat theological answers never do it for me and they don't ever seem to actually be the answer. So when we try to answer, we usually get it wrong you know, mm. so I prefer, I don't know, it's like taking a vacation from that struggle. Mm. Yeah, to read a detective novel mm. by Tana French, my favorite. Goblin <laughs> Murders, highly recommended. Huh. So yeah. then what, um, I mean, you've, you've written and you've spoken about this before in different places I've heard you say how the arts are ultimately what like informs your faith mm -hmm. um, more than theology or is it kind of a dance between the two? I love to read theology and I mean, I'm a theology nerd and an armchair theologian, mm -hmm. <laughs> completely untrained. Um, but I don't find theology convincing. Mm -hmm. Ultimately I don't, that's not, Theology isn't faith, and it doesn't really give me faith. I like the idea of exploring those questions and reading how other people have explored those questions. 
But if I want to feel faith and emboldened in my faith, that happens for me by consuming art. Um, the most profound spiritual experiences I've ever had have been probably reading books, reading novels. Those are the, those are those, the moments that I can pinpoint where I've had, I feel like I've had like little awakenings or transcendent moments or experiences of God or in reading really great books or looking at really beautiful art or hearing really beautiful music or powerful or mysterious or horrible things um, can also provoke those feelings in you, you know? So yeah, I think all of my feelings of like, yes, there is more than this life. There is more than we can see. There is a, um, an unseen force working things for the good somehow. Those moments have come to me through art and literature and not so much through theology and not so much through, you know, even church attendance and the sacraments. Of course, I've had beautiful masses and beautiful moments of prayer, but I felt more profoundly um, the presence of God in the act of reading, honestly. Do you think there's, like, what would your tips be for others so they can read well, so they can be open to that sort of encounter with the transcendent, with the divine? Um, I think you, well, I'll start with Graham Greene. <laughs> I recommend that to everyone. Um, I think you have to be willing to be shook, you know, just like, the reason everybody loves Flannery O'Connor because she shakes you awake. That experience can happen in a lot of ways. I actually find O'Connor um, exhausting. She's not my favorite and I'll be, I'll see myself out now from Catholic literature, <laughs> but like, um, I mean, I love her letters where you get her like really acerbic wit and she's so funny and likable and charming. Um, and I love her novel wise blood but i i tire of her um of her vision because it is so uh, angry mm-hmm. <laughs> and um grim and decisively so whereas i feel like i love graham green because there's all the grimness and anger but there's much less decisiveness there's so many there's just an openness to his work about where where god appears how he shows up whether it's even real whether this is all a sham whether we made all of this stuff up to make us feel better or and then you'll have a moment where it's just blisteringly real so those the power and the glory the end of the affair those two books have kind of been I return to them again and again um, because of the way they sort of shake me because they seem to reflect actual life. Whereas O'Connor's work is so it's almost caricature of the South. I mean, I'm Southern. I grew up in the South, in the deep South. So like there's that. And she was too. And she nailed a lot of it and a lot of the Southern Christianity of the time, but it's just, and even though like green's writing in England and it's completely removed from my experience. Um, I don't know. I see my own psyche reflected more, I guess, in his authorial presence. And I just feel like a lot of his, the questions he had 
and asks again and again about faith and about God and about the church are questions that I've consistently asked in my life. So, yeah, I think in, also you just, I've read plenty of novels that really don't have, um, or essays or poetry that don't have explicit theological content, but it just shines out for me from certain work. Um, and I love sort of following those little threads, even where there might not be authorial intent and seeing how it chimes with theology or chimes with some like religious or spiritual concept that I've thought about um, and sort of draws out that experience in a different way. I love those moments too. Um, and I, I would say, you know, you have to read widely and, and be open to any kind of experience because you never know where you're going to find that. There are so many examples of contemporary artists too who are doing really interesting things with faith that I think a lot of people of faith wouldn't shy away from engaging with. Um, but if you can kind of enter those moments with that artist and enter that work and really try to keep an open mind and see where their experience can take you. You're going to, you might have some experience that you don't expect or some new understanding you don't expect. Mm. You know, a lot of what you're saying, it reminds me of just yesterday I was in a conversation and I was asked the question of like, how, um, how can you approach a audience who, and discuss a controversial topic in a way that um, is not going to get everyone to be up in arms. And my response to the question was that I, I guess I've grown convinced that the minds and hearts and lives are not changed through ideas and information, but they're changed through stories. And you know, um, as, as more, the more personal the narrative is, or the more relatable the characters are, if it's fiction, mm -hmm. the more likely, like, that's going to lead to some sort of conversion in people. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I think a lot of what you're talking about is sort of like how literature allows us to broaden our understanding of humanity because we're, we're, it brings us into these stories in a deep sort of way if we're mm -hmm. if we're reading well i mean it, the same thing can happen obviously in movies it, i think that develops a lot of empathy too yeah. um yeah but yeah the so, development of empathy and the ability to live another person's experience for a moment in time um yeah those are both really important to me too and i think because i believe so fervently in community and the need for community. Um, that's just another way to connect. And I think sometimes we can connect better through questions raised in the context of art than we can in, through questions raised in the context of straight theology. If you and I have like wildly different theologies, different theological views, very hard to argue those together in a room, but we might be able to find some common strand in a short story or um, a film to talk about. Yeah. Or even a beautiful painting, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Poem. Yeah. So is that, is that part of the, well, let's switch gears. Let's talk about the other side of it, the creative, the process side, the, what does it work to be an artist, to be a creator? I mean, you've published multiple books. Um, your work has been featured in, 
what best American essays, you're, you're, you're quite the accomplished artist in your own way. And um, what has that process and that experience, yeah, that experience taught you about, about how to communicate the truth in a way when yeah. others might not always. It's really challenging um, to write explicitly about faith, which is what I do and to do it in a way that is not um, utterly alienating of most readers. I mean, I'm an, I do have niche audience for sure, but I feel like that audience um, respects authenticity and the fact that I won't lie about religious experience or my beliefs and that I'm willing to test them. I mean, I've been trying, I've been asking myself this question for a while, like, why is it that my work appeals more to lapsed Catholics and Protestants <laughs> than Catholics? Because I'm Catholic, always have been, cradle. Um, so I just, I don't understand why that is. Why, like, the majority of my readers have always been Protestant. And I... I don't know, maybe you can help me answer that, but I think that part of it is um, maybe a little Catholic exoticism, like that always goes a long way, right? People love to use Catholicism in art. And I've always been really wary of doing that, of like trading on the sexiness of Catholic stuff. Like our world is cool. Like the Catholic <laughs> church is full of beautiful symbols and sacraments and, uh, and beautiful language that doesn't exist anywhere else. And, um, mm. and when you kind of trot that out for people, it can be very attractive from the outside. You know, we used to, when I worked with sick program, we would, we always use the term Catholic attracted. Like there are just people who are mm -hmm. very curious and like kind of want to hear about it. But I think I'm always struggling in every piece that I write to, you know, keep my footing on the high wire. Like, and so in some ways it's like, is she going to fall? <laughs> is she going to leave the church? <laughs> is this all going to fall apart in front of our eyes? Like, or is she going to find a way to hold on to this weird teaching or weird experience and make sense of it in the context of a life that like, even a life that maybe the church doesn't approve of. Um, I think there's something in that struggle that speaks to people. I don't know. Mm -hmm. don't tell me. Mm. Yeah. I, well, I think that's why I reached out to you years ago and asked you to help to be my editor, you know, to help me along is because I, I resonate a lot in that characteristic of your work. And I think I'm aiming to do the same thing in my yeah. own writing. And I don't want to give people flat you know black and white canned answers either and I'd rather be in the messiness I mean <laughs> the right. messiness is something I'm obsessed with well I mean, the blog yes yeah, that's Jesus business so on <laughs> and spiritual writing and Christian writing has really become self-help and I mean that's the trend in the publishing industry and has been for years and years it's like your book has to be boiled down into bullet points you have to be able to have call outs you know in the pretty script on the page and that's not the kind of writing that's not the kind of spiritual writing I do it's not the kind of writing I want to do it's not the kind of writing I want to read and I don't think it's the kind of writing you want to do either no, there's a place not. for that and I have sought out such books at certain times if I need that 
but it's mm-hmm. almost like utilitarian. Whereas I feel like the spiritual writing we're doing is is a lot messier, yes, but um, maybe in its like struggle, but it's crafted and it, you know, the writing is crafted and skilled. And that's, there's, those things go together. Like that crafting of a beautiful piece in which you work through those struggles in a complicated way through language. Those things are, both things are very important to me. It's just also very important to me to not, I think there aren't enough people who tell the truth about spiritual experience um, when it gets ugly. And because there's not a lot of place to publish that kind of work, which is why we wanted to have Sick Pilgrim as a place to go there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And is also going to be honoring the fact that like no person has the whole truth. Right. We all just have slivers, tiny, tiny, tiny slivers. And, and we have to be in relationship. so beautiful about approaching spirituality through art is that you get to, you get to experience those tiny slivers mm. of each person's spirituality. It's like everybody has one little piece of the puzzle. So if you can like, experience one other person's piece of the puzzle just another regular person not the pope not your priest not you know like just another human struggling to get through um and you see like the one little thing that they've gotten or the, the one little insight they've had or even just their experience, even if you have no answers. And I, I do like work that asks more questions than it answers in terms of spiritual writing. Um, I also like it when people hazard a guess, even if it's just wildly. <laughs> That's why I like Richard Rohr. I feel like Richard Rohr says some really wacky stuff sometimes. And everybody's like, what? But he nails it. So like, mm-hmm. he does both. And it's just like, for him, I feel like there's a playfulness and an openness and a like, nothing bad is going to happen if I'm wrong. I'm just, maybe it's this way. Maybe Mm. I have really seen the face of God in the eyes of my dog. You know, I'll never forget that inscription Mm. on the universal Christ that his dog had just died and he was so sad. And the way he talks about how he would look in his dog's eyes and feel that he was seeing the face of Christ. And I was like, that's totally wacky, but yeah, that, that's how it works. Mm-hmm. Your moments of revelation and intimacy with God come in really unexpected ways. Mm-hmm. And that seems much more authentic to me. Um, I don't know that willingness to just kind of go out on a limb and maybe fall. Mm-hmm. But is that what discipleship is? It's like the willingness to go out to the, like, yeah, Jesus, we're, take me where you want me to yeah. go. Climb that tree, you know, like, <laughs> to do whatever you got to do to get like your little bit of sight, you know, I do. And I think that for me, writing and discipleship are so entwined because, well, I mean, I've seen how my work has impacted people and I've seen it accompany people um, through dark times and places and struggles and if that's the way that I can do that I feel like that's what I should be doing um but also it's I mean it probably more often ministers to me and I've said that for years and years that I've 
um, it was a revelation I had when I was writing my letters to Amy that became love and salt that if my, whenever I would waver in my belief or my faith, or I would just feel like this is all made up fairy tales that we say to make ourselves feel better. It was always in writing that I wrote myself back to belief. Mm. Um, and I would usually start out and I still find that I do this determined to write about how I was not going to do this thing anymore. X, Y, Z, go to mass, whatever, go to Eucharistic adoration, be a Catholic. Um, and then by the end of what I've written, I've usually come around full circle. Mm. <laughs> I've also found that, and I was talking about this in a class I was teaching the other day that the church is really my muse and there's nothing I can do about that. Mm. I can't creatively. I am, I am not functional when I am not Catholic Mm. and I haven't gotten to the bottom of that yet. Um, Mm. Maybe that will be the next book. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, you know, I didn't go to mass for a year because I was pouting and being mad (laughs) about (laughs) all the horrible things that our church has been doing that have come to light. Um, I just couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't cross the thresholds. It was, it was stomach turning to me. Um, so I didn't go and I didn't write. And that inner world just kind of disappeared. It was very strange. I mean, I could write journalism. I could do my, but like my writing, my, the stuff that's comes from my soul was just not there. And then I went to mass on Ash Wednesday with my kids and it was like, bam it was all back Mm -hmm. it was and so to realize so much of my work I mean it all came together for me then like so much of my work was writing in relationship or in struggle with Catholicism Mm -hmm. and that was my inspiration and it still is and what am I supposed to do with that it's like I can't Mm -hmm. leave this is a Graham Greene moment this is a, <laughs> I, I hate you. Why do you have to exist? But you exist, you know, mm-hmm. so. <laughs> mm. And um, it's, yeah. So whether you like it or not, this is who you are. Yeah. <laughs> you are part of this, this wonderful, yeah, messy like, church. This and, you're part of- and you yeah. know, there's a great book called the Catholic thing by Rosemary Houghton. It's, it's really old. It's probably out of print. I don't know how I came across it, but um, I used to love when I lived in Pittsburgh and South Bend places that have really old Catholic used bookstores where I could just go find weird old Sheed and Ward books. And, um, that was how I found Carol Houselander and, um, Maisie Ward and all these old school Catholic writers that I loved so much. And that's where I found that book, but it was very she says something like, I wish I had the quote at my fingertips. I can probably get it for you to put on your website, but it, something like the church is like um, a domineering old mother, you know, like you can hate her. You can fight with her. You can throw her out of your house. You can, but you have to respect her ultimately. And I was like, eh, I don't know if I agree with that. But then when I had that experience on Ash Wednesday, I was like, this now that quote makes sense to me. Like I have to respect the power that, that, that the church has in my imagination, the way it has formed me, the person it's made me like, there is a relationship there that cannot be severed Mm -hmm. because I am who I am and the church is who she is. So it's, Mm -hmm. 
I love, and uh, the other thing she says in that book is just the Catholic thing belongs to everyone. Hmm. It belongs to all of us and not just Roman Catholics. It's, and that's why when I was saying earlier that, you know, those little Catholic attracted um, pieces, bits and pieces of exotica that float in and out of people's work because it does belong to everybody. It is part of the wider culture. And I feel like that is a much sturdier and more convincing catechism to me um, than anything I would have gotten in like RCIA. <laughs> so. So it's ultimately the, the great mystery is your relationship to this, right. this and body. A relationship. It's a living yeah. thing. Yeah. Both of us are. <laughs> yeah. And it's a struggle and it's, yeah. it's, I mean, it's truly a messy relationship. Yeah, it truly is. And it's not just about, it's very easy to be angry about hierarchy and patriarchy and all of those mm -hmm. things that are immovable, it seems, um, that keeps so many, especially women away from the church. But to me, that's not even the issue anymore. The issue is that it's taken me a while to get here in my struggles over the last couple of years. You know, when you, you know, I've gone through a divorce, I've gone through multiple tragedies, um, mm -hmm. scandals, loss of like very public loss of friendship. Um, and just all having to do with the church. Um, not, and that's just on a personal level, like not even to mention the broader problems our church has um, and has been going through very publicly. Like, but what I finally come to is like, not that old calcified like structure of the church that everyone is always railing against. Like, that is never going to be a healthy thing for me to engage with. But what is living and breathing is my relationship to that living body, which is all of us, <laughs> the mm -hmm. entire history and tradition, the, you know, it's everything. It's so much more. And those are the parts that I think can still belong to me and will always belong to me, whether I want them to or not. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you. I invite you into this contemplative moment. Whereas membership with the body of Christ, the church, and the guidance of the Holy Spirit can fuel the expressions of beauty and truth found in quality art and literature, and we all are called to be co-creators with God, let us ask the Holy Spirit to open us to the graces we need to glorify God with our creativity and devotion. To help us pray these intentions, I would like to read an adapted version of an untitled poem prayer by Susan Felch that I found on pages 12 and 13 in a book called Acceptable Words, Prayers for the Writer. It's edited by Gary D. Schmidt and Elizabeth Stickney and published by Erdman's Publishing Company in 2012. As you listen to this poem, if you are able, close your eyes and take a slow, deep breath. 
pray with me, and tune into God's presence within and around you. Triune God, creator of heaven and earth, who formed out of nothing all that is, spirit who moved across the face of the deep and breathed life into inanimate clay, wisdom, the master artist, who delights in all that is made. We thank you for the beauty of this world and for the gifts you give to those who create beauty, who craft the mirrors that reflect your glory, prisms that refract your light into a thousand dancing colors. Beauty will not save the world, but you who are all beauty have redeemed us. Late have we loved you, beauty so old and so new, but this we desire, that we may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our lives, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to seek his face. Today and every day, may the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us to establish the work of our hands and the offering of our hearts. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. That's episode three of Messy Jesus Business. Thanks for listening. Messy Jesus Business is produced, hosted, and edited by Sister Julia Walsh. You can find us online at MessyJesusBusiness.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and now on Patreon. If you like what you heard, could you please share with your friends, subscribe wherever you find your podcast, and leave us a review. Thanks! Messy Jesus Business is produced in partnership with the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration. You can learn more about our religious community and donate to our mission at www.fspa.org. This episode is made possible through the generous support of listeners like you. Please consider joining the community of fans at patreon.com slash Messy Jesus Business. Shout out today to fellow podcaster, Lisa DeLay. Thanks. I am Sister Julia Walsh, and I'll catch up with you next time. Until then, peace and all good. what's right. Help me walk. Help me walk in the light. Help me run. Help me run for the prize. Jesus, keep my eyes on you. Jesus, keep my eyes on you.